Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. this week's episode of the FemiPod. This week we are welcoming our second guest to the pod and what a guest we have. Kirsty Godso is not only one of our great friends but a world-class trainer and a global master trainer for Nike. Kirsty has been paving the way for the fitness industry for over 10 years, born and bred in New Zealand and is now living the high life in LA. Kirsty is also a businesswoman in her own right, running two companies, Pyro Girls, a flammable training community for both men and women worldwide, and her own protein company, Made Of. Throughout the years, Kirsty has had her own experience with her hormone health, and much like us, is now on a mission to help others learn from our mistakes. KG, welcome to the FemiPod, freshly back from New York. What's been happening? Oh, well, first of all, I'm just so, so excited to hear familiar accents and reconnect with two of my favorite girls. It is just like a time warp, you know, I think back to all the amazing days in New Zealand that we had taking over skate parks and fields and whatnot, sometimes illegally for all of our Nike (laughs) events. So it's such a trip. But yes, I am dialing in from Los Angeles, uh, freshly back from New York, which was incredible. Um, You know, that will always be my favorite city. No offense to Auckland. Um, But, you know, there's nothing like it just you know, walking down the street, running into people that you know everywhere and like just the energy you get from that city like really makes you some something a little bit different of yourself, sometimes the best of yourself, sometimes the worst. But um, it was definitely some fresh uh, enthusiasm that I needed from living in a slightly warmer, more spacious Los Angeles. Um, and I was definitely happy to get my steps in in New York. <laughs> I love New York. I've been there a few times, but I can't imagine living there. It must just be a crazy city to live and spend every day in. It can get very toxic for sure, but it's also like it makes you this completely different person and you become like a problem solver, I feel like, because there's typically a lot of problems arise. And I feel like what I love about New York is it's always pushing you to be a little bit better. So I think that's probably been my biggest adjustment moving to LA where you feel a little little bit more stagnation. Um, You know, people move to LA for a more balanced life. I don't really think that balance is a word that I typically use with myself. So um, maybe I'll learn to love it. But um, yes, I totally agree with you. New York is like nothing else and a phenomenal city for running. Yeah, well, that is definitely a positive and we'll get into running (laughs) soon. And I'm sure most of our listeners already know who you are, but let's just get into your story a little bit. I know that growing up, it was your dream to work for Nike. I'd love to understand like what led you to becoming one of Nike's world leading master trainers. I was working at Les Mills International and I was working in marketing and I was working on the team that actually brought out Les Mills Grit, which was one of the first uh, group fitness high intensity training classes. And that was my first real passion with training. 
And that was actually led up by myself and my best friend, Les Mills Jr. So that was really funny because at the time I'd freshly graduated with a double business degree. And so a lot of people were like, what is like you're having a crisis at 22? And I was like, no, trust me, guys. So Nike had always been on the vision board from very, very young, but it was through working in marketing at Les Mills and teaching Les Mills Grit in the gyms there that my link with Nike finally happened and hence where I met Liz. And the funniest thing is my first job for Nike was going to Sydney to go on a run. And I was like, it's over. It's over for me before it even starts. Like, are you kidding me? A run? I hate running. Um, And it went fine. Um, And so, yeah, that kind of is where it took off. And honestly, I would never take back the days that we had with Nike and Nike Training Club in New Zealand because they were fantastic. Like it was so grassroots. Like we really learned to do the most with nothing and had so much fun and really fostered this awesome community who was so grateful. Um, And that really set the benchmark so high for me. And then obviously we were having a great success in New Zealand. I started to get to go to the master trainer summits at headquarters um, in Portland, Oregon, and then got more and more exposure to the brand. And so eventually was traveling around the world for them so much into the U S so much. I legally moved in 2016 and then moved to New York and it's been crazy. Like it's been such a phenomenal journey because so many of the people that are closest to me in my life, I've met through the Nike journey um and it's also just always fun that it started in Auckland New Zealand like our end of the world where most people still have no idea that we are separate from Australia so when people are like how did you get this job with Nike I'm like well <laughs> so hard work pays off um it's and maybe a standout accent <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's been a crazy journey. And then here we are now just like, it's my sixth year living in America and doing the damn thing and uh, really leading up training for Nike. So it's been fun. Good memories for sure. Uh, you obviously yeah, mentioned how you don't particularly love running, but we know how sport can impact young women's lives in general and how positive it can affect their lives. What sports did you play when you were growing up and how do you think that's shaped who you are now? Well, I feel sandwiched here because I'm also being interviewed by two of the best runners that I know <laughs> and big running enthusiasts who I used to spend a lot of time with. So, you know, I'd just turn up to run club, but um I honestly think New Zealand and Australia are very special in the way that children grow up playing so many sports. Obviously, America is very sport driven also, but there's this fall off and there's these really stark statistics that show how many, especially young girls, are not engaging in sport anymore. And it's really sad because I know the same for you girls. Like, I can't imagine my childhood without sport. Like, it totally made me the psychopath that I am today. And I typically played too many sports. I figured out from quite early on, the more sports I played, the less time I might have in the classroom, especially when it came to like NCEA and you could do PE as a, um, as a subject. I was like, yeah, why would I do like history if I could do PE? Um, so I played netball, which um, for anyone listening, that's not from a country that plays netball and it's, cousin of basketball almost but you can't run with the ball you can't bounce the ball it's really about teamwork you actually can't touch any other players so a lot of finesse involved um and I played water polo those are my two main sports around those I played tennis cricket touch rugby 
I did motocross, which is how I have the pins in my knee. Um, but netball and water polo were definitely my my main events. And then basically when school finished, I was kind of bummed out because when everyone went to university, they wanted to party and I really wanted to play sport. So that's kind of where I fell into the gym and training became my new sport. I mean, I'd love to understand like what drove you to going to the gym, like obviously being part of the sport that was very much about a team and then heading into the gym. It's very much <laughs> just about you and yourself. Like what was it that made you want to get so heavily involved in the fitness industry, especially at in regards going to the gym and just exercising inside it's obviously very different to what you grew up doing and what do you love most about being so heavily involved in the fitness industry or movement and sport all great questions um well this is the funny thing I remember first going to the gym going to Les Mills when I was in like my second to last year of school and I used to use my boyfriend at the time's gym membership and by the way his name was William so there was no chance that that was really possible but he never went and his parents had one for him so I would go to the classes like body pump and body attack body combat but basically I had this crazy knee surgery when I was 15 my brother and I had a um, collision on our motorbikes and they had to pin my knee back together in quite a unique way so I was on crutches for four months and realized once I jumped back in the pool that I could no longer egg beat, which is a big component of water polo. So I decided to follow all the rules with my rehab. And that's how I sort of got into the gym and just understanding the importance of PT and really taking care of my leg. I wasn't cool with the idea that at 15, my leg was over. Um, And so that was sort of how I think first, like that stability type work and and just drills and focus on myself became a priority because it didn't matter about the team. It was literally my leg. Um, And so I think that really helped me just transition gracefully into the gym. I definitely missed team sport, but I'm so competitive that I can kind of make anything a game and kind of made my own training a game. And then having group fitness really helped. So I think that was the idea with grit. We really wanted to make a instead of a group fitness workout, we wanted it to be more team training. So we really wanted it to have the intensity of sport, but you were in a slightly smaller group fitness environment. And our goal with Brit was always for 12 people to be in a workout. And then it was turning into like 80, you know, kind of similar with, um, you know, Nike training club. And um, I guess I just wanted group fitness or or team training to feel like sport so you had that camaraderie of a team but it was also very individualistic in the sense that no one else's performance was going to hinder your um, progression Um, so you could use the community for motivation and you know maybe competition but you it was also very much about you and what you were going to get out of it Um, and I think that just what I love the most about group fitness or anything in terms of people training together is you see such a shift in people across the duration of workout, like teaching classes in New York was honestly crazy because that city will take everything from you. And I used to teach a class on Wednesday nights. And I remember I could just tell when I'd look at someone's face when they came in the door, what kind of day they had. And I'd be like, you know, should we just get rid of that before you go home this evening? And they'd be like, yeah. And you would just see a transformation in someone across 50 minutes. And you know, movement is so beautiful. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, the wrong parts of it get focused on, you know, especially with working out, like it can get narcissistic, it can become very aesthetic driven, but it's honestly, it's the ultimate recalibrator. Like, 
you know, people can say they hate working out or they hate running or something, but you typically always feel better afterwards. So I think it's just that shift and it's that positivity and kind of the confidence boost that you just get in yourself. And I know for me, I'm a much better person when I'm working out. And it's not about how I want my legs to look or my abs to look or anything. It's literally about how I want my mind to look. Yeah, that's so important. And yeah, you never regret a training session after, that's for sure. You may be demotivated, but after you always feel so good. So that's so true. You've had such an amazing fitness journey, you know, from these Mills to Nike and beyond. How do you continue to set goals in the gym? Like I know you can do a massive amount of pull-ups with a really heavy weight, but how do you continue to push yourself in the gym? Oh, guys, I I hate to confess, but I don't feel like I've got the same sauce with my pull-ups as I did in New Zealand back in the day. But um, I love love an ambitious goal. So my chin-up goal years ago was I wanted to be able to do one chin-up with half my body weight attached to me. So I was trying to get 25 kgs at the time. And I remember I wanted it to be perfect. So I didn't care if I only got half a rep or I was only going to count it when it was the perfect one rep. So that was a really fun, long training journey that I used to be on. I actually never got it. So the dream is not over, but we got very close. I did one with like 23 and a half kgs. So I was like, come on, you can do it. Um, Or something like that. Close. It was close. Um, with For me, it's interesting because basically so much of my time is spent training other people or doing different things of work. I've really had to take away some of the intensity and pressure I put on myself with my goals and what I'm trying to do in the gym and just be grateful for any of the time that I have, whether it be 20 minutes or 45 minutes or maybe two hours, you know. Um, and so I'm always looking for new ways to sort of elevate my performance. Like I love challenge. I do really love playing with this fine line of vomiting and not like sometimes, you know, and just have, I, there is that side of me that just loves that. But there's also this side of me that just loves to play in the gym. And I'm so always exploring things with stability. Like um, you'll, you'll always see me going upside down and, you know, playing with a Swiss ball, stability ball, BOSU, things like that. Um, but as long as I keep variation and keep my brain going all the time, that's kind of how I really keep it exciting for me. And I also have to practice the things that I'm going to make other people do. And I just, at the end of the day, want to make training fun for people, but very much functional. Um, and I think that's where it's, it's great to have clients one-on-one. It's great to have group class because it's going to make you program a lot of different things. And then sort of my training becomes a blur of, of those, those two things. But that was truly why, I sprinkled in more running because I was like, hey, this is probably a consistent thing that I need just for a different challenge for something that I'm not naturally great at. I mean, I I think I'm a decent runner, you know, but I think I'm not great at it because mentally I still have to get over that hurdle every time. I would love to talk a little bit more about your running journey and your love-hate relationship with running, which we always joke about. (laughs) I remember seeing you go for a run in New York. It must have been pretty early days of you moving over. And I was just so happy to see you out there running without Nike Run Club and without us around you. So I was so proud of you. Why is it that you've had this love-hate relationship with running? Tell us about it. Well, it's very funny because I actually have to say that Lydia will be the person that replies to every story when I run. She's going to say, I'm so proud of you, KG. And I'm like, I literally did this to you. Like, that's what I used to always think of. Um, 
You know, honestly, I think that the thing for running started, like I loved cross country when I was at school. I really think it came from when I had my knee surgery and they said to me, you don't run anymore and you won't water ski or ski, regular skiing. And I think it was just someone telling me like, you can't do that anymore and your knee's not going to be good for it. And then I got to a certain point where I was like, well, I jump like a maniac and I do all these other things and I do so much strength training to support my body. Like, why don't I just see how it feels to go out and run? And like you said, not with Nike running club or anyone making me. And I was like, Oh, that actually was pretty great because that was just about me and my playlist or me and the podcast I was listening to. And when you live in New York, it is so nice to go for a run because sometimes the last thing you want to do is be inside a gym. And where I lived in New York down in financial district, it was perfect. You could peel off the East side or the West side and you could run all the bridges. And um, so I started to run a bit more and I would also get involved with training some of our media that'd be training up for um, a marathon or half marathon. So I'd get involved in those runs. And then last year we were signed up to do the LA half marathon, which sadly got canceled due to COVID, but everyone kept running. And I loved that. I was like, this is so cool. Everyone's still going to turn up and do this, um, this half marathon. So before, just before it got canceled, I was so nervous And I'd kept missing a lot of the training because I'd been in Portland for filming for the Nike app and other things that I was like, I'm going to go to Old Man Run Club, which is this cool run club in New York. And I'm going to run this half marathon with them because I need to practice before I get to the actual half marathon and just not be nervous. And it was so cold that I couldn't check my watch the whole time. I had gloves on, like long sleeves. It was March in New York. And I did my first half marathon in an hour and 50 minutes. And I was like, okay, that was a hard one too, because there's a lot of bridges. So I'm like, I also ran 13.9 miles by mistake. It's definitely not a half marathon. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I went a little too far, but I, again, just couldn't get that watch out from all the way. Just loved it so much. Loved it. And I honestly think the cold made me just sort of keep it moving. So I was like, all right. That actually wasn't that bad. I, I was thinking the next day, I was like, oh, it's going to feel like trash tomorrow. Like, honestly, my legs are going to be beat. I woke up the next day and I was like, my pecs are so sore. My lower body was fine. I'd been so nervous and so cold. So I was like, wow, this is crazy. I've got to like really like work on my T-spine and just like relaxing my upper body and just like prepping myself for running. So I kind of got obsessed with like running prep and all these running prep drills. And I was like, well, it's pretty ridiculous if I'm doing all of these and not going to run. So I kept running and I was like, what if I made it this thing where I just run a half marathon by myself every month? And it was still quarantine and we're running like crazy. I went from running like not at all or maybe 10 miles a month to running over 100 miles a month um, in April and May, which was really cool. And I ran, yeah, four of my own half marathons last year. And then I completely fell off because it just got way too hot in New York. But my favorite one that I ran is I'm very geographically challenged. I mapped the run for us and we ran 16 miles because I just kind of got it wrong on Strava. And so we had this whole extra bridge at the end, but I have to say, I never want to run a marathon, but 16 miles is a really sexy distance. And I liked it. I really liked it. The thing though with running that I think pivoted for me in my brain was I was like, you know, running is always there for you. You know, like the gym isn't always there. Like you can obviously work out in your living room and stuff, but if you want to talk about getting into a fresh environment, getting outside, doing something different, like running's 
judging you so much less than you're judging it. And it's kind of always just waiting for you there. Like, hello, like, do you want to come run? And um, I think once I sort of just decided on that, like, Hey, put your ego aside. Like, it doesn't matter if you go run three miles or if you want to go run 13, like go out and run. Like the pace only matters if you're making the pace matter. Like, especially for a lot lot of us who aren't racing for anything. Like, and I think that's what I'd like people to just feel motivated by is like, Hey, you don't have to be signed up for races. Like if you want to, that's cool. And if you need that accountability, but you can also just be out running for enjoyment and knowing that that's a great like compliment to the strength training that you're doing. Sure. I feel like from what you've been saying, Kirsty, that you're a convert and that you actually <gasps> are running. <laughs> and oh, I feel yeah. like in a few years, we'll probably see you into the marathon or something crazy like that. Imagine. <laughs> oh God. Let's hope not guys, but we'll see. Let's hope so. <laughs> We'll see. I'd also uh, just like to report that my knee feels fine. That was the funniest thing. So in conclusion, first was in fear of the knee, but the knee was actually great. It probably is all that strength training. And like obviously at Femi, we're, we're advocates for strength training. We know how important it is for females. But from your perspective, why do you think it's so important for females to strength train? And also what effect can it have on females' hormones? It's just crazy. Like I think that strength, I really think strength training is the most beautiful thing that women can do. And especially women, because it's like, it is such a powerhouse for our hormones. Um, I know my body looks its best and really like, I'm talking like lean muscle mass, like low body fat, like when I'm strength training and like, I've always felt most confident when I feel really strong. So that for me, I was really happy that that was something I learned very early on from my first personal trainer that I had in New Zealand. And he made me so strong and just, I never went into the gym. I never, ever thought about a move and was like, oh, I don't want to do this because I might get bulky or like my back might get like this. You know, we were just so innocent in a way. I think when we were um, in our twenties and going to the gym and, and that's what I hope we can foster that environment again for women of all ages, but especially these young women growing up, maybe worrying a little bit about strength training. Like it's going to give you this absolutely incredible foundation for everything else that you do. And not just like in terms of like things that are happening externally in your life, but internally, just like really helping you with your hormones and keeping you on this great journey, like with your body, because we all know when we're in a bad hormone phase, like I know five days out from my period, like it's not a good time for me, like mentally, physically, like I'm a bit bloated. I'm definitely a bit grumpy. And, you know, your psyche can be a bit off. And I always know to take a step back then and be like, okay, well, you know this because this comes each month. So you're not crazy. And it's probably better today that maybe you like chill out a little bit, like probably spend a little bit less time around other people, um, you know, and just, just, it's okay. Just, just put it to rest. It's just a day. Um, but also then, you know, understanding where, where your cycle is. And, and obviously with my clients, like most of my clients, we're great friends. So it's like, we have a very open dialogue about things and, um, understanding what part of their cycle they're in and knowing for me, when I'm doing their training, like, okay, today we're going to go really heavy with our strength or today we're going to do a little bit more high intensity or today we're going to do more Pilates yoga style stuff and really rest. Um, and that, that's been more education that I've sort of come into, the last like two years more predominantly, but it's information that I wish that I had earlier on. And that's why I'm so, so thankful that with what you guys are doing with Femi, because I think it's just, it makes such a difference. Like I are definitely candidates of the overtraining um, when we were younger. And look, I can tell you there is 
nothing worse than putting your body into low energy availability. And once you really understand what that means and the ramifications of that, like you will just understand the trade-off isn't worth it. You can have your best body and have your hormones completely on your side. You'll actually probably have your better body with your hormones on your side and a longevity safe body. So, you know, for me, I, I had, um, I was born celiac. So I actually think that that's great. I'm really happy about that. I don't eat gluten-free substitutes of bread or pasta or anything because when I was growing up, that wasn't available. So I don't really feel the desire to add that in at all. So actually keto was a great eating style for me and was probably the first time that I felt there was an eating plan for me that didn't make me feel difficult. It's really embarrassing. Sometimes I think people don't understand when it's you're not gluten-free by choice or just by you know, getting a bit uncomfortable with gluten when you really are severely allergic, like you feel like a nuisance when you're ordering and it's kind of embarrassing. So I felt like when I fell into keto and was following a strict keto plan, I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome for me. But I was like, wow, I have to eat so much food. Like this is, this is a bit nuts. I'm having to eat lunch twice a day. And there was one day I ate steak for breakfast. And at that point, my boyfriend was like, I think we're going a bit far. Um, <laughs> So I was following a lot of strength training, really doing a lot of high intensity, working three jobs and, and very strict on my keto. There was, you know, there was times that I completely cut out fruit altogether and I love fruit. And if I did eat any fruit, it'd be like a handful of blueberries or something. So not advising this, um, but just to give full transparency on it. And my body fat started to drop and drop and drop to it got to a point where it was just sitting comfortably at 6%. And that was where it became a bit of an issue because I felt great and I thought I looked great. But in reality, I probably didn't look as great as how I felt. And I was young enough that I was, you know, in between 25 and 29, that my body was like, it was still on my side. You know, it was cruising. It was more so when I got, I turned 30. The week after I turned 30, I got shingles. And I knew I hadn't been feeling good. Like I was really pushing it to the limit and there'd been other signals from my body and I was just not slowing down to listen. I was on a plane every other day. I used to red eye from New York to LA all the time for work and just ricochet myself around. I also had a concussion earlier that year that I think contributed, um, which is another story for another day of a barbell knocking me out. But um, when the shingles happened, the worst part was I knew I deserved it. And I knew that that had to happen to me to physically take away my, I had it all through my sciatic nerve down my right leg, which is the same leg that I have my knee surgery on. And that was when the first time that I really stopped and I was like, oh, you got to get it together. Because at this point I hadn't had my period for seven years and my body was just started to have enough. And I realized, you know, hey, it's not normal that you don't sleep all the time. It's actually not normal to not have a period for this long. And it's not normal for your body fat to get kind of stuck in this weird orbit of between 6 and 8%. Like, you know, essential body fat for women is at 12% for a reason. Like, and whether or not, you know, people might say you're an athlete or blah, blah, blah. I'm not an elite athlete. At the end of the day, I'm a trainer and a businesswoman. And it doesn't need to be that low. So I'm shortchanging my brain and my recovery and, you know, my, my hormones and everything for, for what, like, what is that? And the reason I premise it all like that is because when you teach your body a pattern for so long, it actually gets harder and harder to get out of that. 
because it learns to make that a status quo. So that was the issue that we had. And I'm so addicted to training that I didn't want to train less. And because I also need it just to feel stable. And so it became this huge evaluation of self, like, okay, what's, what's going to be the change here so you can get everything back on track. So that's when I started to evaluate, like, what actually is my goal? Like, why am I overtraining? Like, let's dissect that. Like, what is this obsession and control about? And, you know, can you relax a little bit around food? Like, what's, what's a better, like, so I've always been conscious of having a good relationship with food, but I am strict and I am disciplined. So I learned to have a little more like fun, you know, with food and things like that. And a little bit less like, hey, it's not about stacking intensity on intensity. Like, let's just like be really smart about training. And something that happens when you're a trainer of other people, especially when you're teaching classes, you always feel like it's not your workout. So you then need to go and exercise later on and stuff. But the amount of energy that your body's using up to lead those workouts is actually way more than what would have been happening if you were just working out yourself. And, you know, these days you're doing five of those. So you sort of get to the end of the day and your body is like, yo, you got it. Like, give me a break here. So comes to March, March, April, 2020, quarantine hits. Well, what better gift for my hormones than to make me stay in the same bed for many months on end, not get on planes and really create structure and routine. And after many female doctors telling me that I would never have children and never get my period back, I worked with a male doctor, supplemented with progesterone for two months and as low a dose as possible. Um, And we had to handhold, I had an issue where cortisol, adrenals, thyroid, and hormones were all out of whack. So that's something when we mentioned low energy availability earlier, like a common thing that happens is your thyroid starts to suffer. And what people don't understand with that is that it's going to make you hold inflammation and weight gain. And um, that's a direct um, result of your hormones not functioning properly. So we handheld all these things back together. When I tell you I already started to feel better within a couple of weeks and feel change, I was like, oh, well, like, is this, like, am I getting back online now? Or like, what's happening in my body? It was kind of crazy. This is also really funny. I hadn't thought people were attractive for the longest time. Like literally just was like, oh, I'm super fussy, I guess. Like whatever. Gets the point. I start walking down the street in New York. Sorry, I did start to take this stuff right before quarantine hit. So I'd started to work with this doctor. And I was like, people are hot. I was like, oh my God, people are hot. What is going on? Like freaking out. I was like, oh, this is too much. I was like, nah. And I was like really weirded out. And then we went into the full quarantine and I I got my period back in seven weeks. So after not having it for seven years, I got it back in, in seven weeks. And I remember being like, huh? I thought that was totally impossible because that's what so many people had said. And I was so excited, but also confused because I'd never had to buy tampons in um, America. And so I was like, what? I was like, this is crazy. Like calling my friends like, yo, what's going on? Also, this is incredibly personal. So it's funny to finally talk about this. It's the first time I'm really sharing about it, but it's important because so many people and so many young girls that I meet and train, when I ask them, I'm like, do you have a regular cycle? And they say, no. And, and then that, you know, it's been normalized and it's been normalized for so long and it's not normal and it's not worth it. Cause I can tell you, yes, now it's been a year and a half of me feeling better with my body, but I still am doing back work on my thyroid. 
Yeah. I felt so unconfident in my body for two whole years where I was so crazy inflamed and my work wasn't stopping. It was just busy and a lot of it is filming. So that's never fun when you don't feel yourself, you know, um, and you're trying to teach everyone else to be confident, but you and yourself are like, I feel like I'm in like kind of a suit of myself. And if I could have just gone back in time, I would have just wished that someone knew to help me with that. So I think that's the coolest thing about what we're sort of doing now is to be like, hey, you can be athletic and you can be strict and disciplined, but you can keep your hormones with you. And if you start to notice that something's shifting, which by the way, can happen, you know, you can lose your period for a month or two over stress. A lot of different things can happen, but let's not normalize it to not have periods for a year or two years or seven years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, firstly, thank you for being so open. Like we appreciate your vulnerability <laughs> so much and like, it's so powerful to hear from someone that's so influential in the fitness space, especially for young girls to actually speak up about their journey because well, we have grown up in a world where having hormonal issues and not having cycle and not having a period has become very normal. And Esther and I have both been through that as athletes that we were told to almost lose our periods or get rid of them by going on oral contraception um, so that it would make our jobs as athletes a lot easier, not understanding that actually having a cycle and having a period would actually benefit us and our yeah. athletic abilities anyway. So I think your story is really powerful and I, it's crazy that you could get just seven years without a period. Like that blows my mind <laughs> that your body in other ways held together for such a long time. Like I'm not surprised at all that you ended up getting shingles. And like for me, when I lost my menstrual cycle and fell into relative energy deficiency syndrome, I ended up in hospital with appendicitis and I don't think the doctors would have ever linked appendicitis to you know being in a low energy availability state but I definitely know my body was just giving me these signs and it was giving me signs for months and months and months and I ignored them um, until I couldn't ignore them anymore so crazy that you got through seven years and I'm just so glad you've got your period now like there's something to definitely celebrate it's very exciting that you have your hormones coming back into balance and now that you have a period and you have the menstrual cycle and understanding how we can adapt and change our training to our menstrual cycle do you do that in the gym now in your own training and if you do how do you change your training depending on where you're at yeah I definitely do um and I think it's nice that we're just focusing forward rather than being like, oh, I regret, you know? And yeah, shout out to my body for keeping it together because it really was doing the most to like, just keep me going. Even my doctors were like, yo, it's kind of crazy. Um, they're like, what do you like when you have full energy? I was like, well, let's see. Find <laughs> um, people attractive. <laughs> literally. Um, but I use the Moody app. Um, there's a lot of different trackers out there. I use Moody. I just think it's kind of easy. Um, I think fit, uh, fitter woman is the one that Stacey Sims recommends and stuff, but I use that to just keep a track of like roughly how long my cycle is. So that can help me planning with my training. I sit around like 32 days, right? So it's sort of, you know, I often try and still think about it as in four weeks because it's give or take, but interesting enough, I notice if my stress starts to spike, that cycle becomes 42 days. And different things. So it's like, it is always interesting to see, you know, what your body's doing and how it's responding to everything happening around you. I know on the second day of um, when I have my period, I can go crazy in the gym, like probably my best workout of the whole month, like just nuts. And I look forward to that day. I'm like, oh yeah, like it's going down. Like everything, everything psycho that I've wanted to do is happening on that day. 
Um, but it did really help me like factor in, you know, um, studied a lot with Stacey Sims and in the information she's put out. And that's been really great and helpful to like get an idea of like, okay, more. So at the start of my, um, once my cycle started again, just really getting into my high intensity and playing around with that and going for it. And then when I get to my halfway point, like changing and changing up my strength, changing up, um, I actually kind of basically remove my high intensity out and I love Pilates. So I keep Pilates kind of going the whole way through. And then I just modulate in terms of like, for myself, I don't follow it as strictly because I'm still sort of getting in balance, but I will use it. And I will always like think about it for my clients. And it's always in the back of my mind for myself. But the way I personally apply it is more like, okay, if I know that this is where my hormones are at, what's my focus going to be for this workout? And, um, you know, if it's like slower, slower tempos and slower strength and stuff, I'm really focusing on precision. So I like to think not only like, what's my focus, like in terms of actual training, but what's my mental focus while I'm going through each phase of my cycle. And like, because my training is so varied, you know, it is very different. I'm, I would imagine with running, you can be like much more direct, you know, but it's also like, I'm interested to know from, from you girls, like with, depending on what you're training for, you know, if it's a speed, I know you girls both run crazy distance, but you also run crazy speed. So I'd be interested to hear like how you tailor given, like if you're focusing on, you know, a marathon versus like a 10 K. Yeah, we definitely adapt all our training to our cycle. It's something I've probably been doing for about two years, maybe longer now. Um, And even though when I'm in a training for a marathon and doing quite high mileage, we still have, you know, speed sessions every week. So our yeah. key focus at FEMI when we work with athletes, it's really focusing in on those speed sessions and making sure that we are giving them the right session for what phase they're in. So for us, yeah. looking at that follicular flat phase when the hormones are a little bit lower, it might be through the menstrual phase and going into ovulation. We're gonna, we know that the athletes are gonna be able to adapt to those higher intensity, faster speed sessions. So we might yeah. be giving something like K reps or 800 reps or a fartlek session yeah. where the heart rate's gonna be going up and down. Whereas we know in the luteal phase, when the hormones are on the rise and progesterone is about to peak, we definitely pull that intensity back. And, you know, for me particular, I I know I need rest and recovery from about day 20 to 25 is probably my worst. And so yeah, no way I'm going to go out there and like smash some speed work. I definitely pull it back. Yeah. So it's so crazy once you know that as well, though, right? It like really changes your confidence because you're not out there like, wow, I suck today. Like what's going on? You're just like, hey, this is what's happening physically. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a big part of it, especially at Femi. Like we are there to be running coaches, and we have strength trainers, you know, coaching girls to their menstrual cycles. But we want to make them fitter and faster athletes. But our ultimate goal is to allow females feel more empowered in their bodies. And I think by educating them on how their bodies are working and getting them to understand that they're not going to feel great on one day, but that's not their fault. And that's just their bodily functions working for them. And that actually means that they're healthy. It allows the female to take control of the situation and can take control of their body and their training and yeah, grow that confidence because there's nothing more beautiful than seeing like empowered and confident females around the world. So that's like our ultimate goal is just to allow females to take control and feel empowered versus like we're here to hit specific splits and get you to reach those pbs and whatever obviously we want you to do that but if we can just grow your confidence through movement and allow you to be educated on how your body's working that's like the end result i think you know even especially what you said before it's like your hormones are really there to be for you not against you and you know i remember when i was studying the 
Stacey Sims course, just the graph when it showed what like oral contraceptive does and the fake cycle of hormones, what it gives you. I was like, this is disturbing. Like this is actually should be information taught in school, not the other way around. Like don't get pregnant, go on the contraceptive pill. What? Like there's so much misinformation out there, which is, yeah, it is quite scary. And, um, you know, even GPs, some of them think put someone on the OCP and that will help with bone health when it's been proven to not really help with bone health. So yeah, there's so much misinformation out there, but it's exciting that it's getting a bit better. Um, yeah, I want to say thanks as well for being so honest about your journey, Kirsty and Lids and I have both suffered reds and so many women suffer reds, um, not just runners, any woman. And um, if you had any tips for someone who is in reds and has lost their cycle for a year, what would you say to a young girl or a woman going through that? I would just say like, hey, you're not alone. Like, first of all, like just because it's not normal doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Like this can totally be geared back online. And, um, you know, I really loved the approach that my doctor like sort of taught me. He's like, you know, this is like an orchestra and we have to get everything to play together. So we can't just focus on one thing to try and pull your hormones up. Like for me, we had to like handheld, like, you know, adrenals, thyroid, thyroid, cortisol and, hormones so we were sort of trying to make these adjusts but I was so grateful to him because it felt like the first time that someone was really sort of helping me but there's so many resources out there to help people so I think the first thing is like don't be embarrassed and don't be shy to ask for help and you'll get response way quicker than you think but just don't don't do sort of what we did when we were younger and a bit more naive you know and just keep training over it because it's not that's not really the solution. Like let's have less backlog of things to go try fix and, you know, sort of deal with things as they come. And, you know, it's your body is so incredible and it's changing all the time, but you've got to remember that hormones like mentally for you and your personality and just everything that's there for you and the texture of your personality shine so much brighter when you have your hormones on your side. Cause you're just, you have total access to yourself. You know, when we're not fully functioning with a lot of these things that are so integral to who we are, especially as women, you know, we're, we're just a shadow of ourselves in an extent. So really understanding like, hey, how do I eat best for my cycle? How do I train best for my cycle? And then, you know, putting that, putting those pieces together, I truly believe like creates just this world of opportunity for you. And yeah, just I, my best advice to people would be like, don't be shy. You're not alone. There are people you can reach out to and amazing communities like Femi who are really fostering a lot of education, but also exercise to come and join and be part of. Yeah, and exercise and movement is such a gift and it's something that we should be building to be super sustainable and something that we can do forever, right? So if there are signs, you know, and your body's trying to tell you something, don't ignore them, like pay attention to them and try to get the help you need to be able to work through those with a professional to get you back on track. So we know like um, the relationship between your body, your mind and exercise is a very complex one, especially for females. How would you say you get the most out of all three? Oh, it's a great one. Um, it's always a juggle, you know. I think sometimes um, for a lot of us, we get so busy and we're like, I don't have time. Like, I don't have time to work out or I don't have 
you know, and you sort of live in this logistics of like, when is my workout going to happen? And is it going to be perfect? And am I, gonna, you know, am I even going to be present? So that's why I really actually love something that Joe talks about. Joe Holder talks about, which is exercise snacks. He's like, it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. It doesn't even have to be 15 minutes. You can have five minutes and you can go do something. And I know sometimes people are like, yeah, whatever you always say that. But no, you can actually go and do something for five minutes. And the amount that we're on phones and different things, like I promise you, there is like all these energy leaks across the day of stupid shit we're doing that could have been used to like take a walk, you know, get get your workout in, things that like really are going to recenter you and refocus you. Um, I know for me also though, like I can't work out well if my mind is completely, if I'm obliterated by something and I'm really stressed, that's when I choose to do yoga or I choose to go on a walk. And whilst those are things that I used to not uh, glorify enough, you know, I used to be like, they're not intense enough. Well, what does intensity mean? Like at the end of the day, like for a lot of us, intensity is about ego. For, for other people, it might be to do with specific training programs, right? But for a lot of us, purely intensity is relating to our ego. So if you can understand me like, hey, I'm having a shitter of a day today. Like I'm stressed beyond like comprehension. The best thing you can do is take control of your breath and find some sort of calm. So like going on a walk or doing yoga is, um, is going to be like the best type of thing that you can do. You know, there's other days where it's like, maybe you want the escapism of being on a run or in the gym, but really understanding that like everything is so linked. And, you know, I think mind body gets a little bit like abused, you know, cause people sort of talk, but it, but it truly is this incredible connection. Also, let's not forget that your brain is one of the biggest calorie burners that you have. And you're going to typically burn more calories using your brain all day than you are just your body. So don't go spend five hours in the gym, you know, Um, just have a great relationship with yourself that has a bit of structure and a bit of routine, but also room for fun and freedom and exploration. And, you know, I know for myself, my body looks incredibly different if I'm walking more. Walking. It's so simple because it's so peaceful And, or even if it's your form of commute, hence why shout out New York, you know, and I see it in my clients too. I see a lot more relaxation through their body, especially through their core. And, um, you know, it's that nice, low, steady state type training, but I think it truly is that just that relaxing of like not stressing out so much. Cause sometimes when we're in the gym and we're in a training plan, we are so in our head about perfect form and how much time we've got there and then where we're going next and everything. So you know, mind, body, your body never remembers things as much as you think that it does. So don't beat yourself up about them because you can also cheat yourself completely out of your results by mentally being completely invested in the wrong thing. I love that idea of energy leaks. That's a great term. I feel like I have a lot of those going on in my life right now. Oh yeah. Well, you got to plug them up girl, because we got, we got things to do, but it's true. Like, you know, what is so funny when I walk into my building, there's like um, all these pipes and one thing, and there's this one sign on it. And I think about it every day when I walk past it and it says main drain. And I'm like, I obviously understand it's talking about a drain, an actual drain, but I see it every day. And I'm like, this is the sign from the universe about like energy links. And what is the main drain coming out of me right now? And is it necessary? And I think that every day when I walk past the stupid pipe. So maybe anyone that's listening can think about what that main drain is, those unnecessary energy leaks and plug them up. For sure. That's very good advice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
I think all three of us are obviously so lucky that we still have sport in our life and it's really shaped our life. And obviously young girls are dropping out at two times the rate of young boys. With all of your influence, Kirsty, what would you say and what advice would you give to keep young girls in sport and encourage them to stay in sport? Just the development that you will get from sport and everything that it will teach you about confidence and teamwork or dedication, routine is so like applicable to the rest of your life. It truly is. And it's such an amazing outlet to just, you know, set up this beautiful, healthy body. You can think about if you have a sedentary child that decides to not do anything, you know, and teach their body that that's what it's going to be like is completely different to a child. You don't have to be an overactive kid that does every sport, but play some sport. If you're a parent listening, get your children moving. It is going to be better for everyone. You know, you want to create these healthy foundations because that's what's going to keep getting passed down to their next generations of children, but also passed up to the rest of their life. And, you know, I love cars. I think, you know, I love, I love beautiful European cars, things like that, but it's like, yo, let's get it moving. Like, you know, don't take the easiest way out all the time, which might be like, you know, sitting in the car or whatever, get on a bike, get your feet moving, get back on your skateboard, like get your kids in sport, make them meet other people. It's such a fun and innocent way to, for children to bond and to really get excited. Like, I always wanted to go into schools and like take over PE. Maybe I will. Maybe, maybe Joe and I will finally go like be PE teachers or something in schools. But, you know, let's reinvigorate sport for kids. And like, let's not incentivize them with, you know, candy and stuff like that. But like, let's just make it fun again. Because you realize once you actually get them into it that they don't need a reward. The reward itself is from being part of it and, and doing something fun. And, it's sad. Like, I just can't accept that young girls are not going to play sport, like not on our watch. Like we will be getting involved. Absolutely. We will be getting involved. We will be getting involved and just like do it for these like fierce young women that they're going to become, you know, Mm -hmm. it's crazy. The confidence that you get from sport. Yeah. Typical, like, I mean, it's kind of silly example, but even now as a woman in my early thirties, if I feel like I'm in a situation that feels a bit sketch, I'm like, I bet you I can run faster than that person. And I credit sport for that. In a very selfish way, you know, the next generation, those kids are going to be running the world when we are older and we need some confident females in the world to run this world for us. So we are relying on those children. (laughs) We need the If you were five years old and you were listening to this podcast, (laughs) please have your parents send us a screenshot of your sports that you're enrolled in. That's been my saddest part. Honestly, not my saddest part. There's been a lot of sad parts, but really about COVID was, you know, children not getting to engage in sport the same way that they could but it's also been incredible the number of parents that have sent me videos of their children who are two doing burpees with them or something just like funny stuff and and I really hope that that's something awesome and beautiful that could have happened over the last year and a half of you know parents and children having more time together as maybe working out as a family and like you know fostering that I know a lot of sport can be expensive so it's like do low lift sports go to the park with your kids like get them running get them involved um and yeah, because it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be good for everyone. 
Absolutely. We've got two more quick fire questions for you and you may have answered these already, but we will just rapidly fire them at you. <laughs> the first question is, what would you tell your younger self, your 15 year old self? Oh, oh, darling, like don't make it a bigger deal than it is. Like, you know, sometimes we categorize, we pull things up to being a stage five storm and it's honestly not even that big of a deal, especially, you know, when you're at 15 and you don't, you are starting to form yourself and just don't sometimes let things be a bigger deal than they actually are like that that would be my best advice because we cling on to some we warehouse so many things that are not true at that age and I was actually reading this um Kobe Bryant's book recently and he was talking about you know like people are always going to love you or hate you so they may as well love you for being who you actually are instead of trying to be someone else so that's a really cool character development phase around that age. So, yeah. That's awesome. I think, yeah, at 15, it's pretty hard to see past yourself. Like you're obviously just getting to know who you are. And, yeah, you can be a little bit self-obsessed at 15. I know I was for sure. Yeah, so. yeah you know, sometimes things like feel like the end of the world or you're like, he cheated on me or something. You're like, cool, yeah. good riddance. Bye. Exactly. Like, you know? <laughs> Uh, awesome and your last quick fire question Kirsty is what is your purpose on mother earth oh man I just want to make people move and move well like you're always going to glute activate with me you're always going to warm up but I really just I want people to explore their potential I really think we all have so much to offer and I think that movement is the most beautiful gateway into all of that so if I can be a hype queen of any description to people like that is my mission I might annoy you at times but literally I have the best interests for everyone I just want us to move move well move more together what a beautiful way to finish thank you so much KG it was so lucky to have you speak to us today and I'm sure so many of our listeners would have taken so much out of the conversation so thank you thank you thank you girls it was so lovely to speak to you and I'm just so proud of what you guys are doing and just know the impact that that's going to have on so many amazing young girls and women thank you for listening to our conversation with Mikey Master Trainer Kirsty Godso for more conversations like this stay tuned on the Femi Pod across Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you have any questions on this conversation, you can message us on Instagram at semi.co. That's F-E-M-M-I C-O. Join us next week as Esther and I chat through the importance of listening to your body and your mind and not ignoring those gut feelings. Thanks again for listening. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we would very much appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe. Chat to you all next week.